0: you're listening to On Attachment, a place to learn about how attachment shapes the way we experience relationships and where you'll gain the guidance, knowledge, and practical tools to overcome insecurity and build healthy, thriving relationships. I'm your host, Relationship Coach Stephanie Rig, and I'm really glad you're here. Hey, everybody, welcome back to On Attachment. In today's episode, I'm joined by Connor Beaton, who is the founder of Man Talks. We're going to be talking all about, as you might have guessed, men in particular, some of the challenges that are facing men in our modern society, how that shows up in relationships, some guidance for men, and maybe also some guidance for people in relationship with men on understanding that experience a little better so that we can cultivate healthier relationships happier and more fulfilling lives. Connor, welcome. Thank you so much for being here.
1: You bet. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: So you've just released a book, which is super exciting. Congratulations. I wonder if maybe we could kick off by you sharing a little bit of your own story as you do in the book, how you came into this work and your experience of, as you described it, I think, hitting rock bottom and the come to Jesus moment that presented for you. If you're open to sharing a little bit with the listeners and giving them a bit of context for how you came to be where you are, I think that'd be great.
1: Yeah, they got to buy the book to hear the story. (laughs) I'm just kidding. kidding. (laughs) No, one of the things I just want to note before I even say any of that is that it's very common for us as men to have bought into this notion that we need to bottom out in order for things to change. Yeah, And I see a lot of guys out there who can tell that they're on this downward trajectory towards imploding their marriage or destroying their business or their health or friendship or family relationships, whatever it is. And so part of the reason why I do this work and wrote this book was I wanted to give guys a kind of resource that they could do the work in. Because I think maybe if you haven't noticed, not every man is open to therapy. And so the book is kind of like a way for them to dive deep into some type of work that doesn't require them to go sit in therapy for weeks, months, or years. My journey was one where I really did know that I was moving towards a rock bottom. Mm -hmm. If you had met me at the time on the outside, it looked like I was living a great life. I had this wonderful relationship. I had a good career i was traveling the world i had the motorcycle and the mustang which at the time seemed very important to me <laughs> maybe not the choice of cars that people would ultimately go with but i was i had the things i had acquired and built a life that i thought presented me as a man in a certain way presented this sort of air of accomplishment and success and hoped that along with that would come happiness. And the challenge was, is that when I got there, having this career, traveling the world and having this relationship, I was still miserable. And a lot of that was because behind the scenes, I had these, we'll call them, the, the fancy term is maladaptive coping mechanisms, but I had these addictive behaviors that I had going on, infidelity, cheating on in my relationship, abusing alcohol, substances, pornography, Mm -hmm. and I was very much out of control. And I was out of control because I didn't like who I was. Mm. And I didn't like who I was because in in many ways I had experienced a lot of pain and hurt in childhood that I didn't know how to deal with. And no one had really shown me what to do with that pain and hurt as Mm -hmm. a young man, as an adult. And so I tried to deal with that pain and hurt by... Numbing it out by drinking excessively or smoking weed or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And so I came into this work because that way of being wasn't workable for me anymore. And the lack of self respect and self love and self appreciation that I had for myself really brought me into some dark places. And it caused me to destroy everything that was going on in my life. My relationship fell apart. She found out that I was cheating on her, that I had cheated on her multiple times, and I tried to talk my way out of it and it didn't work for good reason. And thank God it didn't. Mm -hmm. And I was questioning leaving my career. And all of these things came imploding in at one time. And I didn't want to tell anybody I thought into this what I call in the book, the one rule of men, which is when you're struggling, when you're suffering, just don't talk about it. It's mm-hmm. like the first rule of fight club, which is don't, you don't talk about fight club, right? Mm-hmm. So I bought into this notion that if I was struggling, I need to figure it out by myself. And that if I was struggling as a man, that there was something inherently wrong with me. And so there was a lot of shame. There was a lot of self-loathing. Yeah, I was really in a bad place. And when I came out of the other side of that, after living out of the back of my car for a few weeks, not telling people what was going on, in denial of what was happening. I started to connect with other men in my life. I connected with my mentor. And a couple of things happened. One, I started to get be greeted by men in my life when I would open up and tell them what had been going on. They reciprocated. So just a sort of brief aside, like I, I read about in the book, after my rock bottom having a conversation with a friend of mine who I had gone to university with and I'd known sort of everything about. And I opened up and I said, here's what's been going on. Here's how I've been struggling. Here's what's really been going on behind the scenes that you haven't known about, the infidelities and the pornography and the drug use and all this kind of stuff. And there wasn't a ton of drug use. It was mostly alcohol. But (laughs) I opened up and told him what had been going on. And I shared pretty, pretty openly. And he paused and thanked me for my capacity to just be real about what was transpiring and proceeded to share with me that he had been struggling with depression for a number of months and hadn't talked about it and that it had gotten so bad that he had tried to take his own life. Mm. And in that moment, I really was dumbstruck by this glaring notion. I thought I knew everything about this guy. I knew the type of women he liked to date. I knew the type of scotch he liked to drink and the video games he liked to play. Like I knew all of that. But I didn't know that he had been struggling so much that he had tried to take his own life. And he knew everything about me minus the fact that I was completely out of control behind the scenes and that I had been having affairs and getting drunk by myself and all this sort of ridiculous stuff that I'd really been cratering myself in my life and self-destructing. And so that got me very present to the fact that maybe I should just say as a caveat that I started to see that happening in many of my conversations with many of the men in my life, where I told them what I was going through and what was going on and what I was trying to work on. And they reciprocated by telling me stuff that they hadn't been talking about marriages that were struggling, affairs that were happening, careers that they were very dissatisfied about, or businesses that were on the brink of falling apart. And I was really struck by how many of the men in my life I had surface level relationships with. Mm. And that many of us as men had felt this kind of loneliness and isolation because we weren't talking about the real things that were going on behind the scenes. We were all creating this appearance of what we thought we needed to be as men. And I think for good reason. I think society and culture and women and other men still want strong men. Mm -hmm. And so There's a bit of a conundrum that a lot of us as men, I found myself at least in, of trying to, quote unquote, have my shit together, but also being able to talk about where I'm struggling. So that was one major thing. And then the last thing I'll say is I came into this work because of an elder, because a man in my life who was in his 70s, I talked to him and tried to get some advice and guidance And this elder happened to be first in Jungian psychology and cognitive behavioral therapy and NLP and Gestalt and Buddhism and Taoism. And it's turned into this apprenticeship-style relationship where for two and a half years after my quote-unquote rock bottom, I would apprentice with him and learn all of these therapeutic modalities and, and spiritual modalities. And in some ways, it really... Not only saved me, but put me on a different path and put me on a path where I wanted to be of service to other men who were going through, were on the path towards where I was going, or were trying to come out the other side of what I had been through. And not that, you know, the details, their life needs to look exactly the same, but men who are trying to better themselves in some capacity. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's a little bit of a longer story than was necessary but
0: <laughs> no it's it's great there are so many pieces there it sounds like a big part of that reckoning was like honesty with yourself followed by honesty with others and you know stopping that cycle of just running away from yourself because i mm-hmm. think we can all do that in like to varying capacities in varying ways but it's like There's ultimately no running away from yourself in any sustainable way. It catches up with you. It's like that wherever I go, there I am thing. And that's, I think, why it's so important for us to turn towards all of our shit, whether that's relational stuff, whether it's low self-worth, childhood stuff, it's coming with you until you do the work of turning towards it and understanding it and healing it. I think it'd, it'd be really helpful to hear a little more around what do you see as being, and particularly in the context of relationships, what do you see as being the key challenges that men are facing, whether that's observing from afar or the men that are coming to you, what are the key themes that emerge?
1: Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's a number of them. I think, <laughs> I think we're in a very interesting time socially and culturally where men are very much in decline. Yeah, And we can see this, right? It's 41% of college graduates are men. So it's a very small percentage Mm -hmm. comparatively. And less men are in the dating field than ever before. It's something like 27% of men under the age of 30 either haven't been sexually active or are in a relationship within the last 12 months compared to 12% of women. You have 32% of men under the age of 29 that are still living at home versus mm-hmm. living with a partner. Mm-hmm. So you have this sort of rise of men checking out from culture and society. And a lot of that is pointing to a couple things, which I see happening within the context of relationships. So one is there's a lack, I think, of men who are really feeling a sense of competence mm-hmm. and coherence around what they contribute to the world, to society, to their friends, to their family, to their relationship. We as men want to have some form of function Mm. for the most part, right? We want to have purpose. We want to have meaning. We want to contribute. Mm. And I think part of the challenge that a lot of men are facing is that either they're looking out into the culture and they're being told, you're not a value, you're not needed, you're not necessary. Or they're entering into relationships and they're being told directly or indirectly, I don't need you. And that, for most men, reinforces the second piece, which is isolation. So a lot of men within relationships, what they're often struggling with and dealing with is a kind of isolation. They might not have a lot of other male friends. And so they're over-indexing on their intimate relationship, needing that person to really be everything for them, needing them to be their emotional processing center and help them understand how they're feeling and help them talk about their challenges and help them discuss their, their dreams and their goals. Or they're isolated in the sense that they refuse to do any of that. They won't even go near... A heart-centered conversation. They won't even talk about how they're feeling. And Mm -hmm. so when conflict comes up, they shut down. Those are the high-level things. I think what a lot of guys that are coming to me with in the context of the relationship is what I call self-leadership. So a lot of men come to work with me because they don't feel like they're leading themselves effectively. Mm -hmm. And so how that's showing up in their relationship is there's lots of conflict. They're shutting down a lot They're very angry and resentful, but they don't know how to communicate it or it's poisoning the waters of their intimacy. Mm -hmm. They have poor boundaries and they don't know how to stand up for themselves. And so they're constantly playing into this game of, if I just make you happy, then maybe you'll meet my needs. So there's a lot of that happening within the context of relationships. And I think we're also in an interesting time where I think more than ever, men are looking for solutions. I think we're in a time where a lot of men are starting to reflect on how do I develop myself? How do I better myself? How do I be a better partner or husband or father or leader in general? Mm -hmm. So, those are some of the things that stand out to me, whether a man is lacking confidence or lacking competence. I think those are two interconnected things where maybe the last thing that I'll say is that, and this isn't every man, but I think a lot of men take on the success or the burden of the relationship working. Mm. A lot of men gauge their value and their worth based on how the relationship is doing. Mm. So if the relationship is doing well, that means that he's a success and he's a good man and all is well. If the relationship is doing poorly, then oftentimes a lot of guys, and again, this isn't every man, but a lot of men will make it mean that they're a failure and that they're doing something wrong, and it impinges on their sense of self-worth. So there's a number of different factors, but I think ultimately, it really boils down to how a man is leading himself in the relationship. Is he communicating the way that he wants? Is Mm -hmm. he having the hard conversations? Is he exploring sexually in the way that he wants? Is he being open and honest? about what he wants to explore sexually with his partner because that can be wildly uncomfortable is he doing what's necessary to understand his own internal landscape his own emotions his own reactivity his own anger so that it's not infringing on his ability to hear what his partner's going through so most of the time that's what a guy's struggling with there's a great quote by carl jung he said that uh, women stand at the edge of what a man knows about himself a woman stands where a man's shadow begins. And so a lot of the times guys come to me and what's happened is that they have externalized a lot of their power onto their partner Mm -hmm. and they're trying to figure their partner out. We talk ourselves as men into this notion of, if I just figure you out, if I just figure out what I need to fix for you and what I need to give for you and get for you and provide for you, and Mm -hmm. if I can just figure out how to make you happy Then maybe I'll have a chance at that. Yeah. And we miss in that process who we become. We miss our reactivity. We miss our insecurities. We miss our fears. We miss our desires. We take a back seat Mm -hmm. in that process. And Mm -hmm. so, what ends up happening is that a man in a relationship will slowly start to isolate in one way or another, whether he's isolating his sexual desires, whether he's isolating his boundaries whether he's isolating his empathy and compassion or his love or his emotionality, but he'll isolate something as a means of I'm protecting you or I'm trying to make sure that you're getting what you want, or I'm trying to make sure that this relationship is just functioning. Those are a few things.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think that dynamic of focusing on the other is a really convenient way to deflect from our own stuff, right? To bypass our own work as, oh, if I can make you happy, that's my job. But I think the corollary of that, the other side of that coin is inevitably that not working. And then either me blaming myself or me blaming you, Mm. either you're impossible to please, it's not worth it, (laughs) retreating, isolating, or blaming yourself, going into shame and unworthiness and all of the things that go along with that, but neither of those are really recipes for healthy relationships. And I think there's just a lot of woundedness going back and forth there. Hmm. I think that, you know, what I see a lot, I probably work with the other side of the equation to you is mostly women and mostly more anxious women who are wanting to grip and control and fix and reach their partner and are probably more often, again, not always, but I think there is more of a tendency and there's certainly a trope around it, anxious woman, avoidant male, and that dynamic of poking the bear of trying to get past the wall. And I think that what I often see is people who present as more avoidant have a really deep core wound around defectiveness and not being mm. enough, not being successful. That sense of like nothing I do is enough and feeling a deep sense of shame and failure. But often that sits a few layers deeper and is covered by a lot of protective stuff. So I think that all of that is is very much in alignment with what I see. I think that one of the things that came out in that concept of self leadership is efficacy and men needing to experience their own efficacy and again i think i think it's true for everyone but especially probably for men the sense of purpose and efficacy can i experience examples of like my own follow through and integrity and discipline i think that stuff is nothing short of medicinal for men and in relationships as well
1: i agree entirely and i think in a sort of, it's generality, right? It's a general statement, but I think generally a lot of women underestimate how important competency is for a man Mm. to feel like he has a place in your life, to feel Mm. like he is doing things right, Mm. to feel like he is contributing to you in some way, shape or form, Mm. to know and have it validated that he has an inherent value to you Mm. as his partner and we could go into why that is socially i don't know if that would necessarily be helpful Mm. but i think the one thing that i would say is that for most men we we know that we have to build some kind of value in our life and that we have to build skills and we have to build character traits Mm. that are going to make us appealing As viable partners. And if Mm. we don't do that, or if we're riddled by shame or riddled by abuse from childhood that's getting in the way of that, or Mm. stories that were not enough because we were bullied in school, then it's going to get in the way of our ability to feel like we are able to, in a meaningful way, contribute to your life. Mm. Because there is a kind of nourishment that I think most men find in that place. Mm. And Yeah. So I just wanted to add that in because I do think that it's oftentimes a very male specific thing that it's, I want to have a place in your life and I want to know that I'm contributing value Mm. and I want to be recognized for that value. And I want that value to sometimes not only come from me, but Mm. to have it be something sacred. That's a part of our relationship and our dynamic. And because for a lot of men, They can't get that from anywhere else. A lot of men don't have society and friends and family members telling them, I really value what you bring to the table. I really value how hard you work in this area of your life to whatever it is, to put groceries on the table or to drive our kids to soccer or to make sure that the house is always clean or in good order. That's not really happening in a lot of other places. Mm -hmm. And so I think what I usually say to couples regardless of the dynamic is that appreciation is the currency of intimacy and that you can never underestimate how valuable appreciation truly is Mm -hmm. for the other person. And one of the things that I usually say to a couple is if you can discover the type and quality and consistency and the sort of specifics of what your partner wants to be valued for and appreciated for, That is a kind of gold that you will be bringing into your relationship. And if two people are willing to do that, to say, here's what I really love being appreciated for like we live on a, on an acreage and it's five acres. And so I take the, we have a two-year-old. So there's diapers everywhere all the time, right? And it's, it smells terrible, <laughs> but our garbage is way at the end of the driveway, right? And so I have to either walk the, the garbage all the way down to the thing at the end of the driveway, which is a good like 15 minute <laughs> excursion, or I have to pile the garbage into the car and take the car to the end of the driveway. Now, my wife hates doing this. Guess what? I don't enjoy doing it either, Mm. but it's something that I undertake. And so just a simple thing, just a simple example, my wife has just made it a point to thank me for doing those types of things because I'm contributing something to the relationship, making our life a little bit easier, taking care of something around the house. Mm. And I'm getting it done, even though I know that neither of us want to do it. And so it's those types of things that are small and simple, but become the kind of foundational fabric that pulls a relationship together.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's something that in my own life, I had to really like deliberately unlearn what was modeled to me in terms of, I think there can be competitiveness in unhappy marriages. There can be this sense of me appreciate you when you haven't done X, Y, and Z thing. And there's all this potential for growth, right? Yeah, the scorekeeping and the almost this protectiveness or guarding of kindness and appreciation because it hasn't been earned or there's all of these things outstanding. And if I were to acknowledge the positives, then all of these negatives might not get addressed or they might get overlooked. And so I think the fear will often drive someone to just keep pointing out all of the things that aren't right, that aren't up to scratch, that still need work. Mm-hmm. And it's just so counterproductive because I think when someone feels like the example that I give, and again, it's often in more of that anxious avoidant dynamic. And it can be like if you've asked your partner to do 10 things and they do nine of them, and your focus is on the one that they didn't do and the imperfect part of it, and taking that as evidence of something of whatever story you're telling yourself about. Who they are or how much they care about you, or if if you really cared about me, you would have done X, or you would have done it better or differently. I think sometimes we need to, to step back from our own agenda. And particularly if we notice that part of ourselves that's resistant to showing appreciation, to voicing that and going, like, why what am I gatekeeping here? And why? Part of me is reluctant to be loving? (laughs) What am I afraid Mm. would happen if I voiced my appreciation freely? I think the thing you'll hear a lot is I shouldn't have to thank my partner for doing basic things. And I just, like I get where it's coming from. And I think it's something we've got to get a little curious about because I don't know what it's in service of.
1: I hear that all the time. I shouldn't have to thank my partner for basic things. It's like, no, you just don't want to. And there's a big difference because you Mm. do have to. You do have to, you just don't want to. And when you start to get clear on why it is that you don't want to and what you're actually withholding from the relationship and what might be possible, I think in a lot of cases, it's it's I shouldn't need to, which is, as I've said, it's I don't want to. And it's usually I don't want to because then I might be recognizing something that you're doing right. I might be recognizing what you are actually doing. And when I recognize that, it might actually Override this mm-hmm. unhelpful story that you never do enough, or you're not doing what I want you to, or whatever it is the story is that's being held by that individual. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, usually when I hear people say that, my response is you do need to, <laughs> and you probably need to, m- maybe more than anybody else, <laughs> because there's a natural resistance and rejection of it. And I think, oh, I hesitate to go down this route, but. <laughs> I'm going to no. do, do it anyways. We'll just see where <laughs> this goes. But I think in our modern culture, a lot of women have been sold this bill of goods of you shouldn't need a man and you should be everything for yourself. And it be, that sort of becomes problematic in a relationship where you just don't have space for a man to even contribute to you. And I get it to a certain degree, like my wife is a badass and she's built a huge business and she's wildly successful. And I love her and I'm her biggest cheerleader. I'm her biggest fan and I'm her biggest supporter, but she still does a great job of being able to say, here's where the way that you contribute to me is invaluable, where I can't find that anywhere else. And Mm -hmm. to say something like that or to acknowledge something like that is to put ourselves in a position of vulnerability. And it is to put ourselves into a position of admission of love, of appreciation. And I think that oftentimes that's a very challenging place to be for anybody. Mm. And so I think there's sometimes an avoidance of that because it's, it feels uncomfortable to be in this more soft space that's actually admitting, I enjoy leaning on you. I enjoy yeah. you taking care of these things for me. I remember my wife and I had a conversation at the beginning of our relationship where I was taking care of a few things in our relationship that other partners hadn't for her. And it was a very challenging thing. We had a couple conversations where I was like, "Why won't you recognize me <laughs> for this?" And she's, "I don't I don't know. I don't I hadn't really thought about it." And mm-hmm. then because she's very reflective and very wise. She came back and she said, it's actually very uncomfortable for me to admit that I enjoy that. Mm -hmm. And it's very uncomfortable for me to be in a position of feeling taken care of in the way that you take care of me. Because she had grown up only child, division one lacrosse player, first chair violin in the orchestra, top of her class, built her business. She's really crushed it. And so in order to but to be taken care of in the way that that I was is to be in this position that she had never been in before, yeah. and so I think that's very challenging for some folks. So I know I yeah. no, can go down I, a path, but
0: no, I, I think it's a, a really insightful path, and I completely agree with you. I and mean, I really resonate with all of that challenge in your relationship. For myself, I think that learning to receive when you've been really good at doing it all for yourself, you had your own competence kind of nurtured and that's been part of your modus operandi. It's like, oh, wait, if I can let down my guard and actually allow myself to be supported and held and received, that's an intensely vulnerable thing to do if it's not what you're used to. And mm-hmm. for myself in my current relationship, that's been a very healing thing for me. I think by contrast to a previous relationship where I wasn't able to do that, I think part of it was definitely my stuff, but part of it was not trusting in the steadiness of my partner and not trusting in his dependability and his reliability and probably his integrity enough to lay down the guard and go, oh, okay, I can lean on you. Mm. So I think it's both, right? It's how much of it's my stuff, how much of it is you not being a safe person for me to really relax into. But I think that if you can find that dynamic it's it's deeply nourishing on both sides, I think mm-hmm. it really is
1: yeah, I think we often with the rise of the therapeutic industry in our modern culture where everything has become pathologized and therapeutic speak has entered into mainstream culture in a way that is just unheard of before yeah I find that the majority of people are convinced that they know exactly what they want and To me, it removes the mystery of romance and love and intimacy. Because the truth about a really good romantic intimacy and relationship is that it's going to evoke what you need, which Mm -hmm. oftentimes is not what you thought. But we have this kind of arrogance and omnipotence Mm -hmm. that we adopt that says, I know exactly what I need and I know exactly what I want. And there's no room to say, Maybe I actually don't know everything that I need and want in a relationship. And maybe I can leave some room for awe and wonder and surprise for somebody to show up and maybe be providing for me or contributing to me or loving me in a way that I didn't even know that I needed. But Mm -hmm. if we're so busy telling them, this is exactly how you should love me. And this is exactly what I need all the time. (laughs) There's just no room for that. But that's sometimes what I find. The therapeutic space on Instagram and social media really selling. And I, yeah. think that it's, I think that it's really unfortunate for the truth of intimacy, which is often wildly uncomfortable and unknown and mysterious and awe-invoking and whimsical. Mm-hmm. And when we can allow for some of that, then we can get what we need in a way that we hadn't expected. And I know that there's caveats to that, trauma yeah. and PTSD and abusive relationships. I know that there's trauma. I know that there's caveats to what I'm saying. Sometimes we really do need to speak. I can hear people like, "Well, yeah. what about abuse? What about this? <laughs> what about that?" And I'm like, yes, I know all those things, and I agree. Yeah. Yes,
0: yeah, I agree. I think that it is. It's it is the unfortunate byproduct of Instagram and social media, and that we all lean on so much for this work. But there are constraints of the format and constraints of communicating things in short form that you miss the nuance and the mess. You talk about like the mystery of relationships. I find so much people coming to me and you you just see the fear in the question. Is it like, is it this or this? Is it me or them that's the problem? How do I know if? And it's just like this really rigid, like I need to know the answer so that I can figure out the solution so that I can stop myself from getting hurt. And so I think we have to look at our relationship to control and trust, we self-trust and trust in the other. Because I think we can only really allow ourselves to ride in in that mystery and really flow with it to the extent that we trust ourselves to be with whatever arises and wherever it takes us. Because when we don't have that self-trust, we need to have a plan for every possible scenario so that we're braced for it. But I think that Mm. that can become a real self-fulfilling prophecy because when we're bracing for the pain or bracing for the hurt or the betrayal or the abandonment or the rejection, we lead with that. And we're so guarded from the outset. We're preparing. If I say this, they're going to say that, and then I'll say this. And, and lo and behold, that's the exact conversation we have. So, I think that kind of going to our relationships with curiosity and openness, know—it yeah, it is a portal to much greater, deeper intimacy.
1: I agree entirely well said.
0: Something that I really liked in your book was talking about vulnerability and you spoke about vulnerability as when women in particular say they want men to be more vulnerable. It's not just I want you to be more emotional. It's like, I want to know that you're aware. I thought that was mm. a really great distinction. I remember seeing a clip of John Wyland a few years ago talking about awareness and how that was such an attractive trait for men to possess and for women to perceive in men. I'm self-aware, I'm aware of you and what's going on with you, the impact of my behavior on you. I'm environmentally, relationally aware. And I think that's just so astute. I think Mm. that without, most people wouldn't be able to put words to that. But I think if you said it to them, they'd be like, yes, that is Mm -hmm. what I'm looking for. I'm looking to know that you are aware and that I can trust you, that you are in control of yourself, that you are able to self-regulate, able to carry yourself. Because if you're not aware, then I feel like I have to be aware for you. And that scares me. Could you speak a little more about that?
1: Yeah. In a very simple sense, a man who is unaware of what he's experiencing, or a man who won't admit to what he's experiencing is a dangerous man yeah it's plain and simple and dangerous in the sense that for a woman that's hard to be around right when a woman is around a man who she can sense and knows you're angry right now Mm. and that man isn't willing to admit yes i'm angry or yes Mm -hmm. i'm feeling this way that's scary that's just plain and simple right i mean i'm Six two, my wife is five eight. I'm 200 pounds, right? She's not. And so, just that natural dynamic, I can imagine being around a dude that's six foot six and 300 pounds. And I'm like, Are you angry? And he's like, No, I'm fine. <laughs> 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 I can tell that he's pissed. It's like, yeah. That doesn't feel safe, right? Yeah. It just doesn't feel safe, plain and simple. If you just remove mm-hmm. all the dynamics and make it very logical. Yeah. And so, I think we as men often, we hear this conversation about vulnerability, and there's this huge push. I think I I wrote about in the book, The Myth of Male Vulnerability, this notion that we as men are just inundated with these messages. You need to be more vulnerable. And it doesn't even really seem to matter what the prognosis is or what the challenge or the problem is that a man is facing, the solution And the medicine that is delivered to him always seems to be, you just need to be more vulnerable. And I think it's garbage. I think that there is a time and place for a man to be vulnerable. But I think that most men know that there is an inherent risk to them being vulnerable. If you are vulnerable in the wrong way with a relationship, that might end it. And that's just true. And Mm -hmm. we as men know that. Because if I'm in the beginning of a relationship with a woman and I'm building rapport with her and something happens in my life and I break down about it and am completely dysregulated and beside myself about it and she's having to care for me, that can shift the dynamic of the relationship immediately. And men know that. So men, we kind of know that we don't know if we're going to get rejected or if we're going to have our experience shut down or if that's going to impact the intimacy within the relationship. So I think it's a very challenging thing for men to find the balance of. But what I do know is that oftentimes what women are actually saying is not that, oh, I just want you to open up and cry all the time, or I want you to tell me how sad and depressed you are, or I want you to inundate me daily with how overwhelmed you are with work or how much you hate your job what I actually want is some indication of that what's happening inside of you. Mm -hmm. Because that shows me that you have a certain level of awareness. Mm -hmm. You feel more safe when you're able to do that. Mm -hmm. And you're in charge, not in control, but you're in charge of what's happening inside of you. So you're Mm -hmm. taking responsibility and ownership as a man over... I, you know, I feel a lot of anger, I feel pressed lately, or I have a lot of anxiety coming up, or I really am struggling with whatever it is, job, work, friends, mom, dad, etc. That's, I think, the kind of vulnerability that a lot of men are being asked to do. And I think that the more depth oriented emotional processing that seems to get talked about in modern culture is something that men need to practice amongst other men, because Mm -hmm. it's not a natural for most guys, it's not like second nature, just being very open and vulnerable about how they're feeling you know, about having been in a sexless marriage for two years. It -hmm. doesn't feel natural for a lot of men to open up and say, here's how I've been struggling behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about how do we change culture and how do we make it more natural and all those types of things, but that's a very complex dialogue. So I think the more direct thing, speaking directly to men, is when you're able to step into owning what your direct felt experience is, Mm -hmm. meaning what are you actually experiencing directly in the moment in Mm -hmm. your body? Heat, frustration, anger, Mm -hmm. confusion, anxiety, coldness, et cetera, like what's actually going on inside of you. When you're able to identify that for yourself Mm -hmm. and communicate some of it to your partner, you are displaying the type of vulnerability that most women are asking for. You're saying, I know how I feel right now. You're right. I am feeling angry. Or, yeah, I feel kind of ashamed that I forgot to do that. Mm -hmm. Or I feel embarrassed about this thing that happened. And I don't need you to fix it for me. I don't need you to solve it for me. I just, I want you to know that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. And that in itself, for most women, is going to be like "Ah," like a big sigh. It's okay, you can recognize and the bonus, the sort of icing on the cake, is when a man is able to say, and I have the resources in my life to go and work through this or deal with this. I have good men in my life that I can bring this problem to or this mm-hmm. challenge to, to discuss, to feel through, to explore, etc. Mm-hmm. And it's not that we can't do that in a relationship, but again, the majority of men over-index on their relationship, to be that space where they bring their internal world. And for most men, it's a sign that there's a wound with the masculine. There's a wound with men, that they don't trust men to bring their challenges, to bring their hardship, to bring their emotions, their hurt, their pain. It's why the first line in my book is, a man's work begins in pain. It begins with your pain as a man and beginning to understand it. Yeah. Maybe I'll pause there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. When you say that, like for a lot of women hearing that kind of, I know what's going on for me and like, I I've got this, here's how I'm feeling. Like, I think this might be what that's about. And like, I'm going to take care of it in this way. And it's just like, huh? And it is. And I think that that's goes back to this overfunctioning thing that a lot of women have developed to keep themselves protected or just because that's how we've been socialized in recent times to be able to do everything and take care of ourselves and take care of other people. But at the same time, something I see all the time and I relate to is like this deep and visceral fear of having to do that forever. And yeah. so it's both, it's like, I can do it. And that's, that's my default. And that's where I'll go. That's comfortable for me to take responsibility for you and try and micromanage you and, do the psychoanalysis for you and try and do your emotional processing for you and and suggest what you might need. Uh, But at the same time, I'm terrified of having to do that because the thing that comes up is who's going to do that for me? That's right. If I'm always the supporter and the carer, then there is a part of me that's terrified that I'm going to be alone or emotionally abandoned if and when it's my turn to need support, or perhaps I'll just never let myself be in need of support because I don't trust in your ability to hold me there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, again, it's this thing of there's stuff on both sides there and it can be really painful or it can be really healing to step back.
1: The notion that if I can signal to you that I know what's going on inside of me, I have that awareness, I have the tools and the resources to traverse that, right? Mm -hmm. My anger, my frustration, my shame, my disappointment, whatever it might be about in my life then i'm sending a signal to my partner saying i know how to do this for myself and so i can also do it for you mm-hmm. and there's a really deep attraction to that i think i look at a lot of the again the therapeutic content the dating coaching content that's out there on on instagram and social media facebook and tiktok and that kind of stuff and really that's what a lot of it is advocating for you know quote unquote holding space how is a man to know how to hold space for his partner if he has no idea how to be with his own emotional intensity. How is he supposed to do that? So there's all of this content that's out there trying to tell guys, here's how you hold space for your partner. Here's how you understand what they're experiencing. Here's how you move through conflict. And it's like, well, that guy probably has no clue in the first place, not that it's all men, right? I'm not bashing in any way, shape, or form, but that guy might not understand how to deal with his own emotional intensity. Hmm. And so if he doesn't know how to be with his nervous system in the first place, and the charge that might happen when he's around somebody else's intensity, sadness, grief, anger, frustration, etc., then the moment that he steps into the arena of, okay, I'm going to hold some space for you. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to have this hard conversation or hear about what happened with your day. His nervous system is going to light up like a Christmas tree and he's going to become dysregulated and maybe reactive and defensive and we're trying to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think one of the greatest gifts that we as men can give the world is to understand how to regulate and ground ourselves mm-hmm. and, because the world, in some ways, it still is a dangerous place, and life is very hard. And so are intimate relationships, counter to what Disney might have sold you. There, It's very challenging. And so we as men, when we have done the work to be grounded, to have a certain amount of self-awareness, to be able to regulate our own internal state, that is something so wildly appealing mm. to women or to anybody, because mm. we all know how hard that is. Mm. Everybody knows how hard that is, right? To stay yeah. grounded, to be regulated, to be able to go into a conflict and stay solid and hear the other person and to tune into your own internal state. It is incredibly difficult. And it's why it is so attractive and appealing and that's what i see a lot of the content advocating for us i just what like the sort of subtext to it is i just want a man who is grounded and emotionally solid yeah so that's the beginning of the work
0: yeah totally i think that's so spot on it's like how could I ever feel safe with your emotions if my impulse when my own arise is to make them go away as quickly as possible? Of course, if that's my baseline, then I'm going to try and fix or solve or react or defend against yours because I see those things as inherently threatening. If my mm-hmm. radar is going, oh, like anger or a sadness or whatever else is not a safe thing to have in my environment, then I'm going to try and make it go away. And- So I think you're right. It has to start with recalibrating our own relationship to those things in order that we can be with them without automatically going to those protective mechanisms that relationally, if you're on the receiving end of that, it just feels like a denial or that kind of emotional abandonment or you're not really seeing me.
1: Yeah. I think that both people have a role and a responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I think it's Oftentimes, what we do is we enter into this with those types of questions. I hear, I get all those DMs all the time, right? Should he be doing this first, or should I do this first, nice. or? And so, I I do think that both people have a responsibility. You know, I think I think in some ways, what men are often looking for from their female partners is is an acknowledgement of when it is going right. Mm -hmm. That appreciation that I was talking about before, the acknowledgement of when a man has stayed grounded, has been able to hold space, has been able to have the tough conversation. Mm -hmm. And that little amount of appreciation cannot be underestimated. And so I think that's part of it. But the other part is to give that man some space Mm -hmm. in order to get it wrong. (laughs) in order to fail. Like I usually tell men, you can't criticize or complain your way into more sex. Mm. And what I usually say to women is you can't criticize and complain your way to more emotional connection.
0: Mm.
1: It just doesn't work, right? It shuts down the conversation. And yet this is the tactic that so many men and so many women take in relationships, right? It's, I want more sex, and so I'm gonna criticize you and complain about it. And for a lot of women, it's, I want more emotional connection, or maybe it's, I want more sex. Can They can both be, uh, they can both apply to both genders, but we use criticism and complaints as a means of trying to get our needs met, and it just never works. So the best thing we can do mm-hmm. is create a little bit of space mm-hmm. and reinforce what's working well.
0: Yeah, totally. I think to go back to a safety thing, if if this person's emotionally disconnected from me because anything else doesn't feel safe, then telling them how wrong and bad they are is not going to be the thing like that. Create the soil <laughs> in mm. which that safety and the connection is going to grow. It's just the complete opposite of what we need. I always imagine the tortoise retracting into its shell and then just beating on the shell and saying, "Come out!" It's not going to work. It's yeah. It's the opposite. It's like, how can I contribute to your experience of safety in this relationship and trust it from there? we'll grow in connection together rather than how can i force you to show up the way i want you to so that i feel better about things but it yeah, takes a lot of it takes a lot of kind of emotional maturity and personal responsibility to to step back from our own agenda and look at the relationship more holistically
1: absolutely yeah and i think it's easy for us to love the parts of our partner that we already love and it's hard for us to love the parts of them that we wish were different And learning, I had a very wise mentor. I've had the grace and the fortune of having a number of them, but one of them said, acceptance without love is hollow. Hmm. And so oftentimes we see these hard parts of our partner. Maybe they're a little bit more reactive than we'd like them to be, or they shut down easily or whatever Hmm. the case may be. And at first we buck against it and we might criticize them and try and get them to change. And mm-hmm. then we move into a place of maybe I'll just accept this, but that acceptance is holding hands with I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I'll t- <laughs> yeah, I'll tolerate <laughs> this shit. Right? My judgment. <laughs> That's right. It's not hand in hand with I accept this because I'm learning to love your flaws and fallibility. Yeah, and what a gift that is to yeah. another human being to say. I see that you're struggling with this. I see that you're working on this. I see that this is a challenge and I love this part of you anyway. And sometimes we need that. Sometimes we as human beings we we really do need that. Mm. And we need somebody to believe in us sometimes more than we believe in ourselves. And we need somebody to love the hard parts of us that we haven't figured out how to love yet. That is just the truth of human nature. Mm. Fortunately or unfortunately. And I think one of the things that my wife and I have always tried to do whether it's in our work with couples or in our work in our own relationship is to bring ourselves closer to being able to love those parts of one another that we are struggling with that we that we can see that the other person is having a hard time accepting now of Mm -hmm. course there's boundaries within that. And there's that happens within reason. And it's not letting the other person get away with all kinds of nonsense that is diminishing the relationship. But it's really looking at how can I love this part of my partner that I can see that they're struggling with and that I'm struggling to accept. And when we can make that part of our mission of love, part of our mission of intimacy, part of our mission of a relationship, things will naturally start to change. Because maybe I'll just share a quick example. Like I remember my wife tells this story, and so I'm telling it because she's told it, <laughs> <laughs> uh, where we were in a conflict in the beginning of our relationship. We'd been dating for like seven or eight months. And I don't remember what the conflict was about or what we were actually like in an argument about, but she was really coming at me and she was trying to prove a point and she wasn't letting it go and she was fiery and fierce and she was really mm-hmm. coming at me. And I kept saying to her, I got it. I understand. I got it. You're right. And she just kept coming at me. And finally, I just, I just said, can I pause you for a moment? And she said, fine. <laughs> and I said, are you hearing that I've got what you're saying? And she's like, yes. I'm like, oh, okay. Can I just tell you that even though you're really pissed off right now, that I still love you. And even though you're trying to battle me right now, that I still love you. Mm-hmm. and that i do hear what you're saying and she just sat there for a moment i could see it like it was like a like a good hit to the heart in yeah. a way yeah and she just started crying yeah and she just she was like mm-hmm. you know and she was just like i was being the way that she described it after was i felt like i was being so unlovable i could hear myself not letting it go, trying to prove the point, getting in your face, almost attacking you verbally and coming at you and all the stuff. Mm. And you just held your ground and reminded me that I was loved. And in the moment where I felt like I was unlovable, you loved me anyways. And she's done that for me dozens of times, countless times. Mm. And that's the practice. Can Mm. I love you in the moments when you're being unlovable? And again, Not abusive, right? Not trauma-inducing or anything like that, but just the everyday shit that we all fall into. Can I love you in those moments? And that's the game. And if you can play that game in a relationship, you'll find a depth within the relationship that is unparamount. It really is. It's just not found anywhere else because you'll be on an adventure with somebody who's willing to love the hard parts of you alongside your journey and trying to figure that shit out.
0: So well said. Just to wrap up quickly, what do you think makes a great relationship? As I say, just to wrap up quickly, we could probably do a whole hour on that question, but what would be the headline for you on what makes a great relationship?
1: I think it's a lot of what I said before. But what I usually, and again, I'm going to use the lens that I usually say to men, but I think it's applicable to everybody, which is find someone that you can do conflict with. And it sounds counterintuitive, but it's the thing that most people don't look for, right? Most of us are looking for the great love and the amazing sex that blows our mind that we're thinking about for days after. And great, look for all those things, right? Have all, whatever ingredients you're looking for in a great relationship, look for those things. Don't let go of them. But see if you can find somebody that you're willing to go through conflict with. I said this to my wife last night, literally last night, I hugged her and I said, because we we've were, we been talking about moving and it's a very challenging conversation. There's a lot of pieces involved mm-hmm. and I hugged her and I kissed her on the cheek and I said, there's no one else in life that I would rather go through hardship with.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that's the essence of it that we often miss out on because fucking life is hard, man. And raising kids, losing parents, your own health, finances, the economy. Whatever the hell is happening in North America right now, it's just, it's a shit show. It's hard. And so if you can find somebody that you oftentimes, maybe not always, but you can oftentimes enjoy going through that hardship with, I think that's just such a gift.
0: Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I often say to people, it's like... You find the person with whom like the hard stuff brings you together rather than divides you I think that is really like a hallmark of a great relationship it's like when life gets hard as it inevitably will do we band together and, and make each other stronger or does that divide us and turn us into enemies or competitors yeah. so I think that's very telling
1: Yeah. And can both people commit to that? I think that's the other caveat, right? That both people actually need to commit to that Mm. way of being within the relationship and, and that value within the relationship.
0: Totally. Connor, thank you so much. This has been such a beautiful conversation. I really think that for a lot of people, it's probably stuff that they've not really delved into before and this whole topic of men's work and men's challenges. And I think it's a really important conversation now more than ever. So thank you for sharing your wisdom with us.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for joining me for this episode of On Attachment. If you want to go deeper on all things attachment, love, and relationships, you can find me on Instagram at stephanie underscore rig or at stephanierig.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could leave a review and a five-star rating. It really does help so much. Thanks again for being here and I hope to see you again soon.